Father God, we, we love you and we thank you. And so this morning, as we, as we intro the series, as we, as we talk through your word, uh, I, I pray that we open our minds and hearts to, to something that you have to say, that maybe we've had a rough relationship with the Bible. Maybe, maybe it's just too, uh, it's too complicated, too scary. Uh, at times it feels too judgmental and we just don't know what to do with it. So Father, I pray that you wipe that slate clean and that we will be able to focus on you and know where it points, where it leads. We love you, Father, in your son's name we pray. Amen. So my family loves a good story. If you're like my family at all, we have shelves that are filled with books and movies and and DVDs of TV seasons. Uh, We have authors and stories ranging from N.T. Wright to Harry Potter, from from Oh Brother Where Art Thou, uh, all the way to all the Marvel movies. Like our family, we love good stories. I have a Netflix queue that is filled up where I can't even add any more. I've got, uh, my phone is filled with podcasts of, of true crime like Up and Vanished, and I, I love that stuff. I love great stories. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite, one of my favorite words of television now is binge. You know what I'm talking about, right? That chance for you to curl up on the couch, get popcorn, wrap up in a blanket, and watch an extended amount of Netflix. And I'm not talking, like, I'm not talking two hours. I'm talking like a 10-hour, we're watching the entire season of Stranger Things kind of thing. Anyone, anyone do that? Yeah, that's right. And I hate it when, when Netflix, after a couple hours or a few hours of that, it pops up that little thing that says, are, are you still watching? Don't you judge me. Of course I'm still watching Netflix, come on. Why do we do that? I think because deep down we love a great story. We love getting caught up in the action. Movies do this too. As you walk out of the theater of a good movie, you walk a little, t- a, a, a little taller sometimes, right? You're inspired, ready to take on the world. Your kids, if you're a parent, you know your kids do this too. See, they, they, they haven't left the, the, the story. They've left the theater, but not the story because they're running down the halls of the theater with lightsabers or karate chopping bad guys or something. Like, they, they haven't left the story. They've left the theater, but not the story. See, a good story will do that. Enter the Bible. Now, as a kid, my Sunday school teachers wanted me to, to have that same love and fascination and being swept up in the story of the Bible as, as we did all the other stuff. And so they used this high-tech um, media, uh, media platform of the day. It's called Flannelgraph. I mean, this is high-tech stuff, guys. Like, look here on the screen. Like, does anyone remember Flannelgraph? Yeah, so for those of you who are not in the know of this super awesome media platform, this is felt, (laughs) and you have little like felt kind of pieces of of Jesus and the disciples and animals and boats and and fruit and and bread and all, and they would recreate the stories on there, and and the teachers would really hope that you didn't remember what Moses looked like this week, because next week, Moses needs to be Daniel for that story, (laughs) and so it keeps changing. This was the platform of the day. But over time, this didn't have have the same ring to it. This didn't affect me the same way. See, for me, 
personally, I, I was more of a, yeah, yeah, see, and afterward, the teachers would let us play with it, and so, yeah, people were throwing stuff out of the, the, the boat. Yeah, you see dolls and red wagons and all sorts of stuff. Like, we played with it, right? So, anyway, um, but, but this worked for a time. But see, I was, real, I was an imaginative kid, and I could imagine myself in the story, and so I'd rather close my eyes and hammer the nails of gopher wood into, into gopher wood next to Noah. I would shoo the animals onto the ark. I would step foot out and, and smell the salty, uh, the salty air and step foot next to Peter and walk out looking at Jesus like my imagination ran wild because I believed that the Bible was this grand story, this grand adventure, and God would bring us along with him on this amazing adventure. But I grew up a little more, and I realized that people don't always feel that way about the Bible. Something changed. I began to notice that there's a lot of people who didn't feel that way about this. Some, some well-meaning Christians have used this as a weapon. They've used this to, bemean, uh, to demean and mistreat people and validate their actions in doing so. It's been used to justify some horrific acts of, in, in our history. Some see it as antiquated, as old-fashioned, and flat-out judgmental at times. Some others, uh, well, and maybe you've been on the brunt end of that. Has anyone been on the receiving end of a good Bible thumping? That you sit down for one of those Bible studies, only at the end of it to have torn that relationship apart, and you see each other, and you're just full of holes, and where were you? What was the study, the Bible study part of that? Some well-meaning Christians also have decided, hey, you know, we need to, to pull this together. So, so we need a different way of seeing the Bible. So they taught us to look at the Bible as more of a blueprint of schematics. And these blueprints, are, see, that they're about facts. Blueprints are about facts. They're about uh, metrics. They're about patterns. And if we can change our behavior to follow those patterns. And we would use a scripture like this to prove it. And I love this scripture. But we'd use a scripture like this to prove it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, training. I got this. I like this. To study it properly uh, means uh, to learn the patterns, to memorize facts, and, and apply the techniques. So there'd be something easy like um, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that's not easy in practice, but that's a command. Got it. Not hard to interpret. Then there's others. Jesus, you could learn by his example of showing compassion and love for one another. Okay, example. I got that one. Example. But then I'd run across some stories that just wouldn't fit. It's a story of Jael ordering someone to ram a tent peg through someone's head. Like, what's the lesson there? Or, or one of my favorite stories, it's in 2 Kings chapter 2. There's a prophet named Elisha, and Elisha was a little on in years. He was balding, and these teens were making fun of him for being bald, right? It's an, seriously, it's an obscure story. If you don't know it, go check it out. It's hilarious. And so they were making fun of it. So Elisha, being a man of God, prayed to God, and God sent two bears out of the forest and mauled 42 kids, it's there, I promise you. So what's the lesson? 
and apparently it's don't make fun of bald people because God will smite you. <laughs> it's, it's a horrible thing. So bald people, God's on your side, right? But in this framework of, uh, of the schematics and the blueprint, all questions begin to pop up for me. Then if it is about metrics and it's easy and there's one way to look at it, then why are these all these other interpretations? Shouldn't we land on the same thing? That's not what I'm seeing. And, and, and if so, I read a whole lot of story. Where's the, where's the schematics part of this? And maybe like me, you scratched your head and took this and just sat it down and I'm gonna try again another day because this is just too complicated. This book is central to our faith. I believe it is the good news, but where had the wonder of God's story and adventure gone? Had I missed the boat somewhere? What am I supposed to do with this thing? How do I read it? See, we tend to read the Bible as one, one book, as, as one book, one big intimidating book. But before we talk about how to read that, because we're going to get there, we need to step back and ask a more basic question. What is the Bible? I mean, what's in it? I saw this something, and the best way I can describe it is something that I saw a pastor named Russ Adcox do. And, and there's a few things on the table that I want to show you. So the first thing you need to know is this. You don't need to think about the Bible as one book. It's rather, it's a collection of stories, or it's a collection of all these different works and different literary genres. It was written over a thousand years, over 40 different authors, compiled over time. It's divided into different categories to make it easier to find. So we've got the Old Testament, many of us know this, the Hebrew Scriptures, and it was primarily written in Hebrew. The other division is the New Testament, and it was primarily written in Greek and Aramaic. Not one bit of English was written here. That came much later. And it was divided into 66 books, but it's, uh, books is not a correct term, and we'll get there, but it was, we have 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And the Bible is made up of different literary genres from history to poetry, from uh, music to uh, letters to uh, something called apocalyptic literature to, bi to biography, like all these different genres are made up in, in this one grand central story. And they're all put together in a certain flow and in order to tell that story. And, and what I wanted to do was find a modern equivalent so, so we can wrap our mind around what this thing is that we call the scriptures, the the Bible, the text. And so uh, we're going to start. Welcome, class. Um, does anyone know the first, the name of the first book of the Bible? Genesis, very good. Also my daughter's name, by the way. But Genesis is a book of origins. It's, the, it's a, a story of the beginning of things. And, and so I found a book called The Making of America. This is the beginnings of our nation. This is the beginnings of, of our story as a nation. So it's a book of origins, right? So that's, that's easy. Next book of the Bible is Exodus. And Exodus is, um, Exodus is a story of the, the, the peoples of God now coming together as a nation and, and learning this relationship with God. And, and it's about Israel 
uh, and the Israelites walking with Moses. And so I, I have this quite literally a biblical history of Israel. This is not Exodus. This is a dry read. This is an encyclopedia type, but this is a, a, that, that story. So the next one, see, so here's what happens is, uh, and maybe you're like me, I was like, you know what, this year, I'm gonna read the Bible. I'm gonna do it. So you start in the beginning God created, and you go through Genesis, it's story, it's good. You get through Exodus until the end, and it gets a little tedious, and you hit Leviticus, and you hit a brick wall. Uh Uh-uh, I'm out, put it down. See, Leviticus is a very different style of book. It's, it's the law that was given to, to Moses, to the Israelite people. And so I've got a book of commercial law. This is a dry read, folks. This is not something you start, this is not a page turner. You don't start at page one and go through it. But what you do with this book is, you know what, is something against the law? Well, this is a, a great reference. Let me go in here and see, oh, you know what? This is acceptable, but you know, if it's this, then it's not acceptable. So this is, this is handy when you have those situations where you need that law code to help you as a reference. And, and Leviticus is a great way to think about that book. It's a dry read. Honestly, it's bad. But it is helpful in those kind of situations. So a law book. Then after that is numbers, and it starts with the census, with, with numbers of who's in what group and, and all these things. There's a little story, but it's really about facts. And so I found the Great American History Fact Finder. Again, not a great read all the way through front to back, but if you want to know about a president, you look up the president and hear some facts, some story behind who it is. This is a great representation of numbers. And then Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy uh, literally means second telling. And so if you go back to Exodus, you get a lot of the same story. It's a second one about the beginnings of things. So I have a short history of the United States. So You put these five books of the Bible together and it's called the Pentateuch, which is a really fancy term. It's it's what, but penta meaning five, Pentateuch, the five books, the books of Moses, the five books that begin the story. Well, then it moves to the histories. And this is Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Croconos, which is what my kids call it. They couldn't say Chronicles, but we said first and second Croconos. Yeah, so, and so, and, and through the histories, you hear about wars and conquest and kings and kings' relationship to God and was it good and was it bad? And you hear this tug of war between God and the people. Is it love relationship or is it rebellion? And so, the best ways I could is I found uh, books 1776. If you're a history person, this is a great one. It talks about the wars that happened in the Revolutionary War. I've got stuff on Civil War, uh, histories. And so we go through that, and then we hit another section. So we have the Pentateuch. We have the histories. And then we have the writings. This is wisdom literature. And we take a hard left turn, different style. This is Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Lamentations, those type books. And and it it really is a hard left turn. And so Psalms is is a song book. It's one of our old hymn hymn books, if you will. So I got songs of faith and praise. So if you need some old hymns, this is very much like Psalms. Proverbs is another very unique book because it's really these nuggets of wisdom, these short little sayings that are good rules of thumb, things to remember as you walk through life. So I don't, remember, I don't know if you remember the gift, gift book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, because it's all small stuff. 
That's what this thing is full of, is those short little sayings, little nuggets of wisdom to help remind you. It's stuff that you would post on your wall on Facebook. It's that kind of stuff. That's Proverbs. Then we move to uh, Song of Solomon. Um, I had a hard time finding anything, any book that would really match up because I can't really put Fifty Shades of Grey up here. (laughs) But I did find something PG for this audience, so I found a book of love poems. So uh, between two people, it's this romantic relationship, and it's very, it's family friendly, so that is a good thing. So um, next, as we also have things like Job, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, uh, and a lot of these books are, 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 man, they just talk about the meaning of life. They're, they're the deep questions, like where is God when I'm surrounded by all these bad things? Why do bad things happen to good people? It's, it's really dealing with the tough questions in life. And so I found a few modern uh, versions of that. Philip Yancey, where's God when it hurts? Disappointment with God, three questions no one asks aloud. Um, John Mark Hicks, who's here in Nashville, anchors for the soul, trusting God in the storms of life. It's these kind of questions that you find in those books. Very different from Psalms, very different from histories, very different from the Pentateuch. And then it shifts again. Like it keeps shifting with different styles. And then we get into what's called the prophets, the major and minor prophets. And the prophets are very, very unique. Now, I know what you're thinking. When you hear the term prophet, we think fortune teller. We think someone telling the future. But that's not the biblical view of prophets. The the primary role of a prophet was someone who speaks for God, who has a word from God and goes and, and shares it with the people. And oftentimes what that meant, especially in the Old Testament, is this culture that was going uh, this bad way. And he's like, look, guys, if you would just go God's way, if, if you would do it his way, if you would just honor him and follow him, life is going to be much better. The way you're going is going to end in your destruction, and you just don't see it. But please, someone who speaks for God. So I was really struggling to find what's a good, because this makes up a good chunk of the Old Testament. I believe Jason Shepherd is a modern-day prophet who speaks for God, who speaks a word from God to the people as we go out day after day. And so I found, uh, I found a few. Uh, Shane Claiborne, I don't know if you've ever read him, but he's a guy who's heavy on justice and believe justice is a big part of the biblical story and it's sometimes unpopular, but he's a modern-day prophet. Uh, guys like Timothy Keller, who, who speak a word from the Lord saying, hey, I know you're questioning if, the exists, if God even exists, but I'm telling you, he does. And let me tell you about him. Let me share with him. There are several books, preachers and authors who are sharing those kind of things. That's the prophet's. And, and there's minor prophets, not that they're less important, it's just shorter books. But all of these, whether, and I'm telling you, if you begin to read through, there's different styles. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, and Joel, they all had different styles of writing. Isaiah was more, like he would write in poetry style. Then you get into Jeremiah, and he would do like David Blaine street performance style stuff. I'm gonna lay, I'm gonna lay out in the middle of the road, and this is why God is telling me to do that. Like he, he was street performance. So you got different styles telling that. This makes up the Old Testament. And then we switch to the New Testament. 
And the first, let's see if you know this one. First four books of the Bible are? Very good, class. Well done. And we're called, they're called gospels. And those four books are, are, the best way to think about it is a biography about Jesus. And so I found some, some biographies. These are all uh, biographies about Abraham Lincoln. Not that I'm trying to bring any correlation between Lincoln and Jesus, but there's a lot of ink spilled about Abraham Lincoln. And there are different takes on him. So one is Lincoln and, the, and his generals, so about his role in the war. Um, this one says Lincoln's virtues, and it's, it's really about how his, his upbringing and his values shaped uh, who he was as a president and things. And then this one's the tome, the big one, Team of Rivals, which is everything from the moment he was born to the moment he died. This is, every, I mean, it's big, everything. And what's amazing is that you can read all of these books and you're going to find similar stories in them. But they're all slightly different takes, different viewpoints that, that are still pointing to who was this guy, Lincoln. And, and the Gospels are that way. You're going to read similar stories in each of those books, but they're all a slightly different viewpoint, a slight different take to point you to who was this man, Jesus, and how important he was. Now, one of those books, those Gospels, is Luke. And Luke wrote actually a two-parter. He wrote a prequel and a sequel. Luke was the prequel, and then the sequel was Acts. And so it's good to read those together because it's the same writing style. At points, they overlap each other quite a bit. And Acts is really, now that Jesus has resurrected and ascended, what now? And so it goes into the history of the early church, the very beginnings of that. So I found a book that says, Created for Community, which I believe is a great Great point to make about the early church, that it was. And we go from Acts, the early church, into Romans, which is this theological, uh, theological book that, that really begins to set up who Jesus was and our role in that story. So I have an, another one there. But then it shifts again, and we get into Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Thessalonians, Corinthians, all the ends are together. And if you read them, they're much shorter because they're, they're letters. They're, they're correspondence between a church and this author. Often uh, one of the main ones is Paul, some Peter, and others. But these are letters. We're reading someone else's mail. And so I've got some letters here. Some are handwritten. And so we're reading someone else's mail that talks from this person to a church saying, let me encourage you. Hey, I hear there's some things going on. Let's talk through that stuff. Let me just remind you about what Jesus' role in your life and how important that is. And so we get all the, all the way to, so we got First and Second, Third John, Jude, and then we get to the last one, which is Revelation. Revelation is a tough one. It's different. It's unique to all of the books save a little piece of Daniel. It's called apocalyptic literature. And so I was trying to find a modern day version of that and I found Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. On the surface, this book is about white rabbits and tea parties and, and queens and cards and these fantastical stories. But if you were to pick this up in 1866 when Lewis Carroll released this book, you would be reading through and on the surface you hear these stories, but underneath you're like, this is about the British monarchy. This is about the queen. 
oh my goodness. And there's a subtext underneath the story that you, you see and that, that we don't get. This is a kid's book for us. But for the people in that day and age, they saw all of this subtext happening underneath. And so we have the book of Revelation, which talks about dragons with seven heads and these creatures with eyes all over its body. And we have lions sitting with lambs and not eating it. And the whole time underneath the subtext of the story is Jesus is the lion and the lamb, like we just sung about. And the story goes underneath the subtext Nero and all of those who, who call themselves Caesar as Lord, they aren't Lord. Jesus is. The rest of the story is he wins. We win. He conquers all. And that is subtext for these fantastical stories of creatures and bowls and elders and all of that underneath. So Alice in Wonderland. So this is our Bible, guys. And it's crazy to think that this is a representation of it, but this is the best we can do. Now, it's really important to note that I can't read, it's weird for me to hold this and say Revelation, but (laughs) we can't read Revelation the same way we read, the same way we read the histories. We can't look at the Psalms and read the Psalms the exact same way we do uh, Paul's letters. We can't read the Proverbs the same way we read uh, one of the Gospels. Like they're different literary genres. But what's amazing in this story is that all of these combined with all of the, the different things happening, they tell one story. And in fact, it's not just one story. It is, there's one central character. See, characters will come and go, some that we're proud of and some we're not so proud of and some we want to emulate and be like. But through that, there is one central character to this story, and it is God. And so one story, one God. And the, and the next part about this to really, really remember is that this, this story is deeply, deeply personal. See, God is a relational God. Every part of God's story, every part of this revelation is personal. He's relational to the core, so whatever is said, whatever is revealed will be personal as well. It's designed in all these different genres to draw us into the story, to draw us in and pull us into the adventure. It's designed to be personal which means we can't limit ourselves to studying the Bible for information like a blueprint. We must read it, here's a million dollar word here, we must read it formatively. It's a big word. How do we do that? And I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) To read the Bible formatively means you allow it to shape you as you read it, to spend time in it, to receive the life inside it. One author said this, you have to stop reading the Bible and let the Bible read you. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors said, when you have a steady diet of the word, over time it gets inside you. When you eat this book, it gets in your bloodstream. 
it metabolizes into your system, it gets in your bones, it becomes a part of you. You can't differentiate between them. It nourishes you, it changes you. And I think Psalm 1 actually describes this view of reading very, very well. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, and if not, turn out, turn uh, your, your phones out and turn them on. I want us to all, and especially in this series, let's read some of this together. So we're gonna go to Psalm 1 for a second, and I believe it paints this picture really, really well. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Psalm 1, describing two different people. One who drinks deeply of the word and one who does not. And this language that he uses to describe the one that does is words like delight and meditate. These words imply something deeper going on. It implies that there's relationship with the word that is going on here. This person drinks deeply of the law and in by doing so, all kinds of things begin to happen. First of all, they grow. They're described as a tree, not as a sapling. This tree that is planted, is planted by water now, has roots that burrow down and go deep. No wind, no storm, no disaster, no weather pattern can knock this tree down. It is too, too strong. Anything the weather can throw at it, it's fine. It weathers every storm. The second, because of their relationship with the word, this person, this tree bears fruit. Which means, like Peterson said, if it gets into your system, it metabolizes into you, you can't help but bear fruit. It spills over into to the world that you interact in. It spills over into how you treat people, how you respond to people, it res- how you respond to anything. You look at the situation differently. It bears fruit. And more than that, They stay strong. It it says their leaves do not wither, which, which describes that this tree is not a little tree. It's a big tree with deep roots, with strong branches. In fact, you look at the leaves and they are full of color. It's because this tree has become formed and shaped and refreshed and nourished nourished by the life giving water they drink from. This is the picture that we're given of a person who delights in the word. This is the picture we are given, the person who reads the Bible formatively. And I know what you're thinking. I've read the Bible and I don't feel that way. When it's not intimidating, it's, it's, it's discouraging. I'll never live up to the standards that I read there. I can't pull off that. My reaction is not that. I can't live up to those standards. Let me tell you this, the difference is this. The heart of the scriptures say, (laughs) okay, let me start over. The heart of the scriptures don't say, 
live up to this. The heart of the scriptures say live into this. The heart of this Bible says this is what it looks like to be human in this God-shaped and made world. You and I are invited and pulled in to the story to participate in it. And it makes that these scriptures, it makes these scriptures unique. When you read this book as opposed to any other book, it's different because we believe that the Bible is alive. And that when you read this, you will receive life, life in you. And the opposite is true for the second person. They describe that person as chaff, a person who doesn't have a relationship with the word. And I don't know if you know or have seen chaff, but there's nothing to it. It's a shell of something. You can do this and it crumbles, and so it doesn't take much wind for it to blow away. And the thing is, is that because chaff is dead, it's not alive. Chaff is dead. We at Wellhouse truly believe in the statement that we are imperfect people who are loved by and serve a perfect God. We do, we believe that, but we also believe that God doesn't want us to stay put, that he wants us to move, he wants us to grow, he wants us to become alive and to go on this wild adventure with him. We want to move you into a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we believe that one of the most powerful ways to do that is to read the word. And more than read, but to drink deeply of the word of God. We want to be a church where the word of God is found in our bloodstream and in our system. We are a church that believes that the Bible is actually good news and that it points us to true life and that true life is only found in Jesus Christ. And at first, if you begin, you might notice, not notice anything different about yourself. But over time, as you read, as you metabolize these words, you will begin to see that this problem that you had in life doesn't stress you like it used to. You'll find that you didn't notice these people before in your life that just need a friend or need help. You notice the world differently you'll begin to see in the chaos of life when bills are due and dinner is cold and things are just crazy that, that you find hope in the midst of that when you shouldn't. But hope comes a little easier. And it's because something is beginning to take root Something is growing in your life. You are moving a little closer to life fully devoted to Jesus. So as we close... Let Jesus pull you into this grand adventure. You don't have to live up to anything. You get to live into it. You get to accept his invitation and join him in that story. And it's a good story, too, that doesn't end with this. It keeps going and plays out in your life. And I hope you join that story. Let's all stand together and pray. Father God, right now before we go on, I just want us to rest in you, to take a moment and just go, God, I know that this revelation, this story is something that is so important 
And I've been scared of it. I've been intimidated from it. I've been offended by it. But God, this is your story. And you invite me into that story. So God, may I see things the way I used to. May we unpack this, that I can look at this and truly drink deeply of that life-giving water. God, I want to be known, I want to be like that, as that tree that is planted by streams of water that bears fruit, whose leaves don't wither, who has life because we're reading and being read by a book that has life in it. And that, God, that life is you, that we find life in you, that this book points to you. And so, God, we want to respond to that. Change our hearts and our thinking. And give us, give us some, uh, some new perspective on this word that we hold in our hands. God, we love you and we thank you. Amen. So next, before we go on, I've got a couple of quick things. And we're going to transition into communion. Hope wherever you are in your walk, that this little primer of the books and some of that hopefully demystified the Bible a little bit, this text that we believe matters so much. That maybe doing something like reading the Bible that used to be intimidating, now you might be able to take that next step and, and begin to drink deeply. And so I've got a few little helpful hints before we go into communion. Uh, and they're gonna be on the screen here. How do we do this? How do we read the Bible formatively? How do we do this different and not read it in one way? And the first one is don't sip Oftentimes we read just a verse or two and think that's good. But I say read passages, read lengthier passages, because sometimes the most difficult passages make sense when you read it in its context. And the second is like the first. Reread the passage. Don't just read it to get through it, but read it over and over and over. Let it, let it wash over you. Let it get in your bones. Let it metabolize in you, and that takes time to just drinking over and over and over from it. The third is a really cool resource uh, that, that I've been told about and it's called thebibleproject.com. So if you're interested in any way about the beginnings uh, of, of the Bible and how it was put together, what the overarching story is, even book by book, it has really cool little short videos that are not cheesy, they're really well done. And, and they unpack the story in an entertaining way that helps you get, wow, this is an amazing book, this is an amazing story. This really is good news. So the website looks a little like that to make sure you know where you're going. You click on one of those and there's just video after video. It's a great resource, I can't recommend, uh, can't recommend it higher. And the one final resource we have is this. On the communion tables, on the sides, you're gonna see these. They're book, bookmarks that we've created and each one is a reading plan for the next 30 days. We wanna put our money where our mouth is and if we're gonna talk about the Bible, we're gonna read it. And so for those of you, and we've got different intensities, so one, meet Jesus for 30 days. These are, they're still chunks, but this is an intimidating one. This is one that anyone can do. It's great, the red one. The second one's a little more medium intensity. This is reading all four Gospels in 30 days. So a little more chunks. There's more, uh, more chapters to read. And then we've got the ones who are 
deep divers. This is the entire New Testament in 30 days. This is a big one, but I know that there's some of you who are primed and ready for this. And so what we want is for you to think about as you go to the tables and pick one of these. Pick more than one of these. We've got bookmarks because we really want you to read your Bible. So some of you who have your phone, that's totally cool. But find a real paper copy of it and put this in there and read it. It's got the entire 30 days planned out. So grab one of these and let's read the Bible, this word. Let's drink deeply of this book. And let's watch over the next 30 days how it changes us. Thank you.